know my heart in my Tene Hortaka, are you on the panel? RNZ National, David Slack and Leonie Freeman with me today. The Reserve Bank has delivered a supersized official cash rate increase of 75 basis points to 4.25%. It is to try and combat inflation sitting at 7.2%, which is remaining stubbornly high. The rise of 75 basis points is also the biggest hike in the OCR since it was introduced as a monetary policy in 1999. It has been steadily dropping since 2015 when it hit a record low of 0.25% in 2020. To discuss, we have Professor Robert McCulloch from the Business School Economics at the University of Auckland. Professor McCulloch, welcome. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Yes, pleasure. So uh, this was anticipated? Uh, Well, it wasn't fully anticipated because the exchange rate went up uh, when it was announced, which shows that the Reserve Bank was not communicating particularly well. When a central bank communicates well, you'd expect no change in the exchange rate. So it wasn't communicated well to the market. And is this the case, Robert, of the Reserve Bank trying to throw the book at inflation? I think it's a case of the Reserve Bank acting like a drunken driver. I think it's a case of the Reserve Bank not seeing inflation coming towards us at 100 miles an hour uh, last year in 2021. And uh, inflation was going up throughout that year whilst the bank was furiously uh, printing, printing money. And a number of us warned the bank about that. They ignored the warnings. And now uh, in 2022, it's been stung by criticism uh, that it didn't act. So now it's suddenly jerked the steering wheel, uh, having gotten to a skid in the opposite direction. And it's overcorrecting and it's getting the country and economy into an even uh, bigger skid and it's going to crash the car as a result. Well, I'm kind of speechless, actually. The yeah. Reserve Bank acting like a drunken well, driver. Should I just jump in with our panel? Interesting Look, analogy. <laughs> I, I've got a first question, and, and this just nibbles at the edge of it, really, but I, I am intrigued. When you said that they hadn't telegraphed it well enough and, and therefore that the um, lift in the exchange rate um, indicates, I take it from your meaning mm-hmm. that um, better uh, better telegraphing it means would have meant that the exchange rate would have come up sooner. Is is that your point or uh, otherwise? Yes, yes. When when central banks communicate transparently on the day of the announcement, that's right. Um, the markets are all fully expecting it, and and as you say, the changes then would have occurred prior to that and more gradually. Uh, the governor was in the news a few years ago under the headline uh, "Shock and Awe." when he did a surprise interest rate cut and also shocked the markets. That's not how you're meant to behave when you're governor of a central bank. You're meant to communicate with the markets so people uh, expect what you're doing, and that's in the interest of transparency. But is it possible those two are somewhat related uh, in the sense that um, until, although the telegraphing may have been quite clear, there was a certain um, scepticism that is is, uh, now um, assuaged? Um, that that, that has actually played out with a a substantial jump? Well, we we have an erratic reserve bank. None of us really know what they're thinking. Uh, That's what it's shown. And I think the reason for the interest rate increase is not so much what's uh, in the good interests of the country. I think it's more in the interests of the reserve bank because what the reserve bank is doing is it's desperately trying to restore its credentials as an inflation fighter. 
and it's saying, look, you know, we've been attacked for saying we ignored inflation last year, but actually we do take inflation very, very seriously. And this is the proof. We've put up the OCR in a record amount by 75 basis points, and that just goes to show we really do care about getting it back to 1% to 3%. And in doing so, it's, a, it's an overreaction. Uh, it's not just my view. Uh, you can take a look at the Nobel laureate Paul Krugman uh, in the US, the former chair of the US President's Council of Economic Advisers, Greg Mankiw. They, fear, they think that the US Fed is in danger of uh, doing an overreaction to the high rate of inflation in the US. And I think the Reserve Bank will be proven to have done a massive overreaction. Mm. My view is that they should not have done such a big uh, interest rate increase, and they've thrown the finances of huge numbers of Kiwis into chaos uh, as a result. OK. Rob, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Le- Leonie, and then you can come back. Yeah. yeah, Robert, I was just wondering, do you think what they've done today will actually slow down or reduce the inflation, and in what time frame do you think we will see that occur? Well, and wouldn't that be a good thing? Um, no, it, it won't be a good thing to the extent they throw the economy into a recession. Mm. And uh, my view is that they should be taking a more gradualist approach. And if you take them at their own word, uh, they've said, frequently stated, including today, that the origin of inflation in this country is not anything to do with what they did and printing money last year. It's external factors. So they've repeatedly said it's Putin's fault. It's the war in Ukraine. It's supply chain problems caused by coronavirus. Well, if you take them at their word that it's external factors, actually a lot of those problems of supply problems with coronavirus are getting uh, less, Mm. uh, decreasing rather than increasing. And probably even the war in Ukraine, the threat probably seems somewhat less than it did maybe six, six months ago. So It's debatable, Robert. It's debatable, Mm. but that's exactly the point. Mm. Let's say it's just 50-50. Why throw the economy into a recession next year on a gamble when those things could equally get better as as get worse? So why take, uh, you know, a gamble on that and throw the economy under a bus when things could easily get better? Why not just wait and see how those things resolve themselves? Increase interest rates, of course, today, but more of the magnitude of, say, 25 or even 50 basis points. Why go for the biggest increase in the OCR in history when the inflationary pressures could easily unwind on their own? And that's what some of the leading monetary economists in the world are now saying. And, uh, you know, hopefully we could have a soft landing, but they don't seem to want to go for a soft landing. I think they're doing a hard landing, and I think it's more in their own interests. They want the public and the media to perceive them as being really tough on inflation. That's the headline they want. Let's go to David. Just going back to the earlier part of the COVID um, um, crisis where you, you had the the loosening up, are you, you, are, did you see that as a wrong move in the first place? I, I recognise your point about not changing last year, but I just want to clarify first. Did you see the um, the actions taken in that first year as desirable or not? The first year was desirable. Uh, the actions in 2020 were desirable. And then the mistake was made in 2021. So in around May, June last year, the central bank, even as inflation was going up, you had folks, well-known chief economists of banks like Sharon Zollner at ANZ, um, what, what was saying that she, she ran, uh, was quoting the media as saying price rises are going through the roof. The ANZ had done all its own surveys. We all knew inflation was galloping up 
uh, midway through last year. And the Reserve Bank was still busily printing 50 billion bucks of cash. So the mistake was made last year. And by not reacting, inflation went higher than it should. Now they're sort of scared and they've been stung by media criticism and they're trying to pretend that now they actually really, really do care. And I think they're fishing for a media headline today. They just want the news to say, oh, look, they're really tough on inflation. And Robert, just that reminder, that 50 billion bucks of cash was printed to help small businesses across the country, right? Um, the $50 billion that was printed was to buy long-term government bonds. I'm referring to the bond-buying program that the Reserve Bank right. did. They bought around $50 billion of long-dated government stock. Hey, Robert, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. yeah, I just want to go back to 2008, actually, because the official cash rate then was 8.25% in June of 2008. What's the difference between now uh, and then? Um, well, it's a very it's a very different shock. So um, this time around, um, and I think I think the Reserve Bank hasn't understood the difference well. So the you know they drastically cut the uh, OCR after, as you say, the 2008 financial crisis down to uh, you know a, a, a very low rate. From what did you say about eight percent before? Eight point two five. Yeah. Yeah. This this time uh, around. Um, you know, it was not a financial meltdown, so the shock wasn't didn't come from you know, banking. It came from from the virus. It was more a supply shock. So it, it was the nature of the shock was was very different. But also related to your question, the question there's been a worldwide decline in interest rates since around that time, and it's been a debate in my subject on why have were interest rates trending down. Uh, across many right. countries mm. in the world since about 2000 to these very, very low rates globally. And uh, that's that's been a subject to debate. Some people have sort of said there was a... Uh, ben Bernanke, the chairman, said, said there's been a savings glut, a lot of, you know, excess savings from Asia. And um, so that's widely been debated. As you say, why did rates... Have rates come so far down from 8% back in the... Very interesting stuff. You know, did you want to say time. one final thing, David? Yeah, I'm just wondering about the... Is there some hindsight in... Um, or revisionism going on here about what happened last year. Was it actually as clear as, as, as you're asserting here, or, or, or is it uh, is it least arguable that there was uh, a more cautious approach to have been to be recommended? You know, a, a, just one year in from that initial action on the the virus, which, as we've just acknowledged, was some very considerable resetting of a, of a great many com- uh, complicated factors um, and, and and I just wonder if it, it, it's easy to be it, 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 it's possible to be quite so emphatic about this Well I don't think it's true to be blunt that the finance minister uh, he, it wasn't true what he said that it's all with the benefit of hindsight. Grant Robertson said that. I mean, I do a blog, this Down to Earth Kiwi blog, and May on the blog, it's not just me, but I'm on the record for saying inflation is galloping up at the upwards and interest rates should be going up now and the Reserve Bank's making a mistake printing money. So there were a number of commentators uh, saying that. A lot of people, Greg Mankiw in the United States is writing New York Times articles saying, all of this loose monetary policy and spending is going to cause these problems. So there were people saying that. Yes, but a a number of us, not all of, is it? What kind of proportion are we talking about here, would you say? 
Well, that's true. I mean, I don't know. You can obviously you go on the web. You can find people, you know, shouting from both sides. And of course, this isn't exactly a right or wrong answer because it's art as well as science. You know, in setting interest rates, so you can't prove that the other side, you know, got it wrong. And that's really what you're saying, that the other view was out there. It's not just a hindsight view. Sure, understand that. Very good. Professor Robin McCulloch there. Thanks very much for your time, Uh, Robert. uh, He is a professor at Business School Economics at the University of Auckland. Very strong view there, isn't it? Yes, well, I think... Which is why I yes. thought it was it's <laughs> it's a very worth, worth interposing a little with, <laughs> yeah. with a question or two. See, look, I, I do not feel emphatic about any of this because I, it, it, stru- it, it has long struck me that the, the, the reasoning about inflation sometimes is rather more programmatic or, or formulaic than it, than it ought to be and, and that it is, as, as the professor just said, there's somewhat more art than science f- reckoning all of mm. this because there are so many moving parts. Mm. And, for example, Robert Reich has been interesting for a long time through these last couple of years about this, saying that it's not a question of wage price spiral so much as profit taking, which is very much more significant than it once was because of a very significant change in the, in the organisation of capitalism. Mm. Mm. So, you know... <laughs> These things are not not simple, and yeah. and and, and um, we're doing ourselves a disservice whenever we try and be too certain or, or simple about it. Mm. Right, very good. Be interesting to see the listeners when they think it'll come down again. Well, that's right. How long? Yes, good points. Text me two one zero one mm. twenty one pass for the panel. A survey has revealed revealed alarming findings about the distress among young adults regarding mental health. Ipsos surveyed 1,000 adult New Zealanders and compared with that data to data collected in 34 countries. 73% of respondents aged between 18 and 34 said they had been so stressed in the past that they could not cope with things quote-unquote, compared to just a third over those over 30. And concern about finances was the main source of stress. And the backdrop to this is Labor's promised $2 billion transformation of mental health. Jasmine McCracken is a learner wellbeing promoter at a tertiary institute. Jasmine, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Hi. Very good. Actually, I understand that your role was created from this $2 billion fund. Yes, yes it was. So uh, how many are you helping who, tell us a bit more about your role. Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, I'm the learner wellbeing promoter um, and I work with students, uh, mostly youth, but all, I mean students are all ages um, and I work with them in terms of their mental health and wellbeing and I do a lot of um, promotional and educational stuff in the classroom, um, on campus um, around well-being, and it's um, my job is very preventative, which is great um, around mental health. So, so that's my role, and I see I see a lot of students. I speak with students on campus all the time in passing, and yeah, pretty much, pretty much everyone I come across is having some sort of uh, mental health distress. It's really, um, it's really prevalent. Really, so yeah, because this paints a stark picture of mental health here, and it squares. With what you're seeing? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, a big part of my role and my um, my point of view is that mental health and um, mental illness isn't something that only the small 
smallest part of the population goes through. You know, this kind of idea that only it's, it's an extreme thing. You know, it's a little outdated. Everybody has mental health issues. It's something that we're all going to go through during our life. And um, it's being it's being reported by young people, which is fantastic. But we are seeing huge effects from COVID that um, young people especially are suffering from. Jasmine, do, do you think, why, why do you think the situation's getting worse? Is it, is it because we're reporting on the stuff a lot more or is there a whole lot of pressures for the younger students now that perhaps weren't there a generation or two ago? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a bit of everything. So I think the reporting is one part of it. And, um, you know, I like to think that statistics, when they're accurate, are better than statistics that are unknown, you know. Mm. So these statistics seem shocking, but it is the reality of it. And it's better that we know that than we, you know, that it's not being reported on. But for sure, there are a lot of pressures um, on our generation. I'm a young person myself and... Um, a big part of it is climate change is huge. Uh, we have social media, which um, is a new kind of thing that our brains are really taking time to adapt to. You know, it's, it's really neurologically has a huge effect on us, um, especially those young people who are going through puberty and experiencing um, a lot of social media. Um, and also COVID, you know, we've had this huge um, trauma across the world um, and everybody suffered from it. But when you're in those really critical years, of your development, it's going to, you know, you've not entirely built your res- your resilience yet, um, and so that's going to really affect you. Jasmine, I've, I feel like I've, we've pushed the lawnmower right into the long grass. It's just so, this hits so much, and I, and I don't quite know where to start. There, <laughs> but, but, but here's one bit that I'd, I'd like to address, and, and because I've just got a nagging um, feeling about it, and that is this, the aspect of the study that talks about the, the financial worries. And I'm just wondering if that is a signifier of mm-hmm. many other things which you've just touched on you know yeah. because yeah. I, it seems to me the crystal the 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 crystallization of it will often be well I need money but it's what you need the money for it's these these mm. these, these expectations that life is putting on you um, of how you look how you live what you have where you go what your what your life looks like and so it's expressed as a financial thing but it's actually all those other things you talked about too the the worry about yeah. a, a doomed planet the worry about um, the expectations that social media are creating a materialist culture you can see what I'm getting about the yeah. long grass. Mm. The lawnmower, and, yeah. and, and so uh, I've got a couple of other questions too. But I suppose just on that one, would you say that's a fair characterisation that when we talk about money, that's really just the the means of of, of addressing these other many many multiple concerns? Yeah, 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 and also just our basic needs. You know, it's there are these big kind of. Um, you know, big ideas around social media and all of that kind of stuff. But there's these basic needs that we need to meet. We need to eat food. We need to pay our rent. We need to put petrol in our car. We need mm. to get to work. Um, and that's a challenge for a lot of people right now. Um, the, the people that I work with are students. So, you know, a lot of them um, are having to work two or three jobs. They're having to look after their family as well as doing their studies. It it creates a whole lot of stress for them. Yeah, because mean-ass economy that pays you mean but expects you to pay a whole lot for a car and a whole lot for to live mm-hmm. in a place and, and all of these things, it, it's just so lopsided, right? Yeah. yeah. Only so, briefly. Jasmine, what, what more do you think we need to do? Um, obviously, the government's got this program. You're a part of that with the funding that's been done. From your perspective working with the students, what 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 else would you recommend doing? 
Yeah, yeah. A whole bunch of stuff. I mean, since we're talking about the cost of living, um, that would be a huge relief for students if we could get on top of that as a um, as a country. I know that's a really big thing that you were just talking about before with inflation. So I'm not an expert in that, but a financial relief. I mean. From my perspective, student allowance should be higher. Students should be eligible for more money, so there's not so much pressure on them to work. Um, but as well as that, uh, we do have we have the wellbeing budget, and we have money going into mental health. And you know, my job is an example of that. And I do see a lot of amazing work happening every day. Um, I know the statistics right. are alarming, but they you know, we prevent are. a lot of people from getting there as well that we don't see. That's um, a nice reminder, Desmond, isn't it? Now, Desmond, yeah. we do have to wrap this up, but look mm. for now. We'll come back to this because it's quite it's quite a um, quite an issue. Cure for your time today. Cool. Thank you so much. That's Jasmine McCracken, uh, whose role was uh, created actually under this uh, uh, two billion dollar funding into mental health, which are many saying, well, where's the rest of it? Anyway, um, that's been discussed, hasn't it? 28 past for the panel. What hasn't been discussed is these blooming zebra crossings. And uh, <laughs> good old David Slate came on you started and set, something, David. set the uh, text alight uh, with saying that um, as a pedestrian, you do not have to wave your hand. Uh, and many people uh, get in touch, including Susan. Hello, Susan. Oh, hello, Wallace. How are you? Uh, okay, thanks. How are you? Now, what is your take on crossing at a zebra crossing? Well, yeah, um, I mean, it, it is a requirement by law that car, you know, motorists have to stop for pedestrians on a zebra crossing, and pedestrians don't owe anything to the motorists for doing that. And you know um, the you know what you're saying about the social contract. Yeah. I just don't know where you got that from. It's beautiful. It's just I've, I've never <laughs> heard of that before. <laughs> it's the vibe. It's the vibe, Your Honour. As a person, as a person, who I want crosses. to thank you very much for picking up the phone and, and contributing to this because yeah. I absolutely agree with you. As a person, yeah, Susan, I mean, 20, twenty years ago, I was actually uh, living in London for for a time, and I just used to be shocked when motorists wouldn't. They often did not stop for pedestrians at crossings, and I was like, you know, coming from Auckland, I was like, oh my goodness, why, why aren't they stopping? You said it you know, right the pedestrians there. Pedestrians are standing there waiting. You, you said but, it but, right but, there, I mean, Susan. It's also a requirement by law there too. But I mean, I never thought this attitude would turn up in Auckland. I just thought Aucklanders were better than that. Forget Susan, it, Susan I, I, I didn't do the whole spiel because we didn't have a, all that time in the world. But but I always look carefully before I step out. And so, and, yeah. and the reason this had become a, a topic in our local Facebook page was because people were complaining that pedestrians don't do that. Now, I'm walking around that village a lot, and I'm seeing the behaviour on the pedestrian crossings a lot, and I am not seeing what people are complaining about. I'm, I, I'm not saying it okay. doesn't happen, but I don't think it's happening as Susan, much as it is. Susan, advice for me this afternoon. Uh, so it's a verd. This Sorry. afternoon when I cross yeah. the zebra crossing in the Blockhouse Bay village there, um, should I just cross it like I own the city should i not I think, wave i i think it's always a good idea to make sure that the motorist has seen you and that they are stopping for you because it'd be silly to walk out and they you know and 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 get hit by a car because they didn't stop but they are supposed to be looking out for pedestrians they are supposed to stop and, you know, as a motorist, I always when approaching pedestrian crossing, I'm always looking to see is there someone 
about, you know, either on the crossing or about to cross? Do they look like they're about to cross? Um, yeah, sure, sometimes it's a bit annoying if, if, a, if someone looks like they're going to use a crossing and you slow down and then they don't use it. But, you right. know, anyone using the crossing, they still don't owe the motorist anything. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but it could be just that they're Fair being enough. polite. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of things we yeah. do in life where we smile or wave or in lots of different scenarios that we do not have to, but we're just being polite. Yeah. Susan, it's, oh, sorry. Like, no, we've got um, it. I, I will sometimes stop for pedestrians somewhere else. We've got yeah, to we've got to move on, Susan. Headlines are all waiting. Um, but okay. love Thanks having you on the panel. Thanks for picking up Thanks, the Thanks, Susan. <laughs> Bless you, Susan. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So there's Susan siding with Dave back there. Uh, clearly, I'm wrong. It's not a social contract. It's the law. Uh, you're on the panel. RNZ National headlines. Thank you, Wallace. And I just want to add, I, I teach my kids to wave. You have to there wave. There you go. Wave. I am right. Say thank you. <laughs> Simple. Doesn't take a second. No. You still hear that, David? I Doesn't take a second. That's why I was waving my hands in, in abject no. horror. I, you're you're <laughs> reinforcing, you, Marima, you're reinforcing um, a power imbalance that is is all deleterious. Know, she's my head argue with you, David. You're going to do her job.